1: That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500, 500 This is the Ion Travel podcast with CBS News travel editor Peter Greenberg, presented by Clear. Enroll today at clearme.com slash Peter and try Clear at the busiest airports nationwide. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg
0: here, and welcome to another edition of the Ion Travel podcast. This week, we're rediscovering a part of America on the Monongahela, Ohio, and Allegheny Rivers, talking about one of America's historic routes on board the American Duchess Wheeler. Think you know Mark Twain? Well, think again. River Laurie and Steve Spratner joins me to talk about the legends of america's rivers and then we'll talk about some of america's lesser-known cities along the way with alex weld executive director of the wheeling heritage in wheeling west virginia a lot of surprises there there's some great storytelling about rivers and boats from bill reynolds from the high river museum in marietta ohio first up stephen sprackler
2: rakuten's big give week is back with 15 percent cash back it's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores
0: Anytime you go down the river, of course, you're reminded if you grew up this way of Mark Twain and all the myths and all the history and all the color that is along America's rivers. You're also reminded about how much you don't know about it because we take so much for granted these days. But to actually get out on the river at a pace that is quite manageable, it gives you a time to think. It also gives you a time to learn. And of course, who do you learn from? My next guest. Steve Spracklin, who's the River
3: Lorian on board the American Duchess. I love the word River Lorian Explain that. Well, we came up with that uh, quite a number of years ago just to, to describe the position and took the, the idea that it was river history, river stories, and... Uh, river mythology, yeah, too. River mythology, yeah, which lore can be any of those in oral history, oral uh, tradition, uh, you know. So just made the, made the term up. Well, I'm glad you did because... Anytime you're talking about travel, or I should say successful travel,
0: storytelling is an essential component part, and that's part of what you do here. Absolutely. So starting in Pittsburgh, let's start and take it through its paces here. You're on the Monongahela. 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 I got it right this time. Say that five times fast. The Monongahela River. You're going to tell that story, too, aren't you?
3: Well, we, we mostly cover where the Monongahela and the Allegheny meet at uh, the, the Golden Triangle and form the Ohio River. So, yeah, we, co- we cover uh, where the, the two rivers are coming from and converging and forming the Ohio River, which is what we'll be traveling on for the remainder of the trip here. And the story there is people,
0: most Americans, I have to tell you, do not even know that you can do a riverboat in Pittsburgh.
3: T- true yeah it's a surprise to a lot of people they think train they think steel they think right. steelers <laughs> yeah they, they, they don't think riverboat no no not at all but it, th- as a matter of fact the very first riverboat that went down the river in 1811 was built right here in pittsburgh and traveled a thousand miles down the ohio river and another thousand miles down the mississippi river to new orleans nicholas roosevelt was the uh, the captain of that and that's that opened up the riverboat era and the other thing that people don't realize
0: is you can still today go from Pittsburgh to New Orleans on the river.
3: You definitely can, yes.
0: So along the way, what's the eye-opener for you? What's the surprise for most of your passengers that they don't know about either the region or about America itself?
3: I think the, the biggest surprise to most of our passengers is the amount of commerce that goes on on the river. I know they see trains and they see uh, airplanes, they see trucks taking things. Two and four uh, fro, um on uh, you know the roads and the sky, on the railroad tracks. They do not know the, the amount of tonnage that is covered uh, uh, by by the towboats out here on the river. And I can tell you this as as a I'm a
0: Coast Guard captain, and I can tell you when I took my test, which was not easy. There's one thing I, I I'm not a river guy. I'm I'm an ocean guy and a bay guy. But half the questions on that test are about inland water rules that the captain of this ship knows all too well that stumped me left and right because you know, <laughs> they'd ask questions like, if you see a barge at 10 o'clock at night and he's showing two white lights... What does that mean? I have absolutely (laughs) no idea, but you better know because there are a lot of them out there.
3: Yes, uh, very true, and they they do have to know everything that's going on here, and you know, the the difference between river and uh, the uh, ocean waters, uh, we travel statute miles per hour. We don't even do knots because we're we're within sight of two shorelines that that are measured off in miles, and something that most people don't know that at all. So, You're not going very fast. You're going maybe six knots, maybe seven. Uh, If we were going to do it in knots, yes. Uh, Traveling upstream, this this last uh, last time coming upriver, the best we made was 9.5, I believe, and that was in a pool. So, yeah, traveling against the current, maybe five, six, seven miles an hour. But that's the good. The, I like that idea because you have, a t- you have time to tell your stories. You do, yes. Well, I mean, many of our, our, our trips, the one here from, uh, from here to Louisville, if you want to jump on, in your car and drive, you're there in, what, uh, six, seven hours maybe? Oh, no, no.
0: Oh, from here from to Louisville, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, something
3: like that. And uh, we enjoy it. We take time. We savor. It takes seven days to get there, and we can really enjoy what we're, what we're seeing along the way. So, in that route, of,
0: of seven days from Pittsburgh to Louisville, of the communities that you're going to, what's the one that surprises the, the most out of the passengers that they had no clue? And I want you to hold on to that thought because we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, remember, we're stopping in, we're starting in Pittsburgh, then Wheeling, mm-hmm. then Marietta, Ohio, and then all the way to Louisville. It's, right. it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a journey, and it's quite an eye-opener if you're looking at American history because so much of that history is still living today. Still on board the American Duchess, talking to Steve Spracklin, who's the River Lorien on board the ship. I can call
3: it a ship, can't I? Oh, you can, yeah. We, we call it a boat because it has a flat bottom, and it's only meant for traveling on the river, but it's the size of a ship. <laughs> it is. And uh, you know what the difference is between a ship and a yacht?
0: I do not. A ship can carry a yacht. Okay. Now you know. See, you t- I, you told me something, now I told you something. I thank but you. But now it's time for you to tell me something of all the communities that you're visiting. Because when you pull up to the shoreline, I mean we're not talking great distances the community's right there
3: because the community grew from the river very true yes yeah, the, the the river distributed uh many of the settlers uh, I mean, that's that's how the uh, the west was settled from from the uh, eastern uh, uh colonies and all and I think maybe the the most surprising one is is Marietta because it was the very first uh settlement in the the, uh, the northwest territories that was heading on down the river. They formed a fort there uh, at Campus Martius and settled the area and uh, uh, built a town around it. And it. It stands by itself as a uh, very historic location.
0: And, of course, most of these towns needed the river not just for commerce. They needed it for energy. They needed it for their own water systems. They needed it for, I mean, everything possible, irrigation.
3: Yes, yeah. And, and uh, I mean, many of the towns up and down the river take their water supply from it. And of course, in the early days, it was the easiest, the most efficient way of traveling. jumping a boat, and you're uh, the next place you want to be down the river. And but it made a whole lot more sense than walking or uh, maybe even uh, trying to, to travel over land with no roads. I've mentioned this before on the show. I'll mention it again. When I was growing up, there was a television show on. It
0: wasn't on for many seasons. I think maybe two seasons. It starred Darren McGavin, and his sidekick was Burt Reynolds. And it was called Riverboat. Riverboat, I remember it. Yeah, and then and Darren McGavin played this, you know, swashbuckling riverboat captain. And there was gambling and love affairs. And Burt Reynolds was like his number two guy, right? Yep. And and I used to watch it because every week it was really the predecessor to the Love Boat, if you will. Um, right. Go, and by the way, you can still get those episodes. You can still get them on YouTube. Yeah,
3: I didn't know that. I'll
0: have to look that you up. Can, you, can, you can. I remember the show from years ago, though. <laughs> it is now. I'm dating myself terribly by saying it, but I do remember it. Yeah. I mean, but there's still romance involved. There's still a lot of
3: sentimentality involved in going down the river. There is indeed, and there's a lot of a lot of interest we find and just kind of to find. Mark Twain's world out here. People come out having read Mark Twain, and they, they're they're interested in just seeing what he was talking about.
0: And of course, Mark Twain itself is a river term.
3: Yes, it means it means two fathoms or safe water. It's uh, the second mark on a lead line at which would be uh, two fathoms, be twelve feet. So you had safe safe running with uh, um, with your boat. Right. Of course, his real name was Samuel Clemens. Right. And I might recommend that one of the best books he ever
0: wrote which most people don't even know about because it doesn't have to do necessarily with his time on the river, is a book that just got reprinted again called The Innocents Abroad. I strongly recommend that book for anybody who's going to travel anywhere in the world because it tells the story of Mark Twain's amazing travels around the world in the 1800s at a time when people just didn't do that. And uh, I'm always amused by some of his complaints in the book. One of his complaints in the book was getting nickled and dime by hotels. Ring a bell, anybody? Uh, <laughs> getting nickled and dime at hotels around the world. Now, today we get, we get mad about the mini bar or resort fees. Mm-hmm. What he got mad about was the hotels charging him for candles. And, it's, and a piece of soap. He thought that was just unconscionable. So, you know, our complaints still today maybe about different things, but the same complaint?
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, that's very early Twain. That was right after the jumping frog that he got, uh, got sent on that, that trip. And what a wonderful take on everything he had. And
0: by the way, we're not just talking like going to like the usual location. He was in Egypt. People don't remember. Get this book. I'm telling you, it's amazing.
3: It is. I agree. Completely. But now,
0: back to the river. As the River Lorien on this ship on this boat what is the one lesson that you learned from this experience going up the river
3: well not not to uh, be too definite about what uh when we're going to get anywhere or uh i mean you don't want to you don't want to say we're, we're making 10 miles an hour we're going to be uh, at uh, the next next town in you know uh, five hours you have weights at locks. You have uh, slowed down traffic. The downbound traffic always has a right of way. And if we come to a bend in the river and one of the towboats coming down to us takes the entire bend, they'll say, Wait down below the bend. Wait till we get through. And we do that to let them uh, pass. So, really difficult. So, it's no to, different than yep. Amtrak. They have to wait for the freight train to go by. There you are. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, when you think about it, right? Yep. Because <laughs> they can't maneuver as easily as you can, probably.
3: Right. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very difficult. The the towboat is pretty hard to to navigate anyway, and coming downriver with the current pushing you to try to stop or or anything, yeah, uh, demands uh, a lot for, on your navigation uh, skills. And then, last but
0: not least, at any one of these stops, whether it's Wheeling or Marietta or even Louisville,
3: what's the one thing that
0: surprised
3: you? Ooh, I. Uh, I would say just in researching all the history that's involved in every one of the towns up and down the river. There's something, something about each one of them, and one in particular. I'm, I'm well, I'm, I'm amazed by the uh, uh, the bridges, uh, the uh, the Cincinnati, uh, the Roebling uh, Suspension Bridge, uh, the one in Wheeling uh, that was designed by Charles Ellet, who was a uh, 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 the one that designed uh, a lot of the rams for the uh, Union Army. The the bridges are are amazing uh, up and down the river. You know what I'll be looking for? Do.
0: My thanks to Stephen. And as you go along the Ohio River, you see so many things that have never changed. And that's a good thing. And so much of that is displayed in Wheeling, West Virginia. Alex Weld, the executive director of Wheeling Heritage, has the little-known
1: stories.
0: Joining me now from the Wheeling Heritage, Alex Wild. How are you, Alex? I'm doing well. How are you? Okay. I mean, what is Wheeling Heritage? Um, I, mean, I know it's a national heritage.
2: That's right. Yeah. So Wheeling Heritage is a national heritage area. Um, we are congressionally designated as an organization to help tell Wheeling's unique story and history, um, and also, you know, why that's still relevant today. So when we think about Wheeling as and by such... the way,
0: most people don't think about Wheeling. I mean, you, you know think...
2: what? You're right. You I mean, and they, they don't. Should.
0: And only 27,000 people in yeah. town, right? But that's where the that's where the boat stops because there's so much history here.
2: There's a ton of history here, um, and you know it's in the region. It's a large city, but in, in the in the country, it's not. Um, but when you think about Wheeling as a hub, historically, it it was known. I would say definitely more than regionally, nationally, as a hub of industry. Um, when you think about the National Road coming through Wheeling, um, the confluence of the Ohio River and the B and O Railroad, and all of these transportation hubs, to kind of make Wheeling, you know, what what was known as the original gateway to the west. So wheeling. Does so people have a,
0: stopped here en route.
2: That's right. Yeah. And it was this really, um, really huge place for commerce and industry. So there were a lot of makers here, a lot of inventors, a lot of people that created things and had really easy access to take their goods to market via the river rail, et cetera.
0: And what is the story that you're telling now?
2: That that still is very important. So when you think about the river, um, historically people thought of it as solely a route for commerce. And now, while that's still very important these days, communities are starting to build around the river instead of in spite of it. So you see new things coming, new like amphitheaters and developments that look out toward the river instead of you know kind of put, putting the back of the bi- the building behind it. And the river becomes a showcase. You. Absolutely. Um, and we're we're looking at it more as a recreational um, landscape feature instead of something that just transports commerce. And so that type of, you know, it's a a newer thing, right? It's like the last couple of generations have have looked at the river differently here.
0: Well, here's how I look at the river because coming down the river, and we are coming down the river Mm -hmm, here, mm -hmm. so many bridges, right? I mean, that's almost your trademark.
2: The suspension bridge is... um, when you think of Wheeling, and I, I know many people aren't thinking of Wheeling, but I hope when they do, I, I hope that they think about the sus- suspension bridge, which is an iconic structure in Wheeling. So that suspension bridge was part of the National Road. That being built connected Wheeling to Commerce in that way and helped with westward expansion. Um, it was such an integral part of that. Now the, the suspension bridge connects Wheeling Island to Wheeling proper, um, and it, it still is this beautiful showpiece of architecture. That is so historically important, but also when people are people that are from Wheeling, I think look at that as a trademark of the importance of Wheeling in its history and why it's still important today.
0: And how old is that bridge?
2: It's from the it's the eight around the 1800s. I don't know the exact. But it's, year. Still, it's yeah. still there today. It's still there today. Um, it's right now. Um, it's only open to pedestrians. They're working on getting some upgrades done at the state level. Otherwise
0: um, known as weight limits.
2: Yeah. So so that's a big problem, right? With with a, a very old um, structural bridge like the suspension bridge, you see some things like SUVs, which most people drive now, can't really go across it. So they're kind of doing.
0: No, some they can go across like it once.
2: Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, (laughs) that was happening a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And so so they're they're shoring up some things to make sure that the suspension bridge still remains that hallmark piece in Wheeling.
0: And, you know, if you look at, you know, stereotypes, right? Uh, We started in the Rust Belt in Pittsburgh, right? We're still really much in the Rust Belt, Mm -hmm. aren't we?
2: Yeah, um, it's interesting. The northern part of West Virginia is both Appalachian and in the Rust Belt. And when you think of, you know, you layer these stereotypes, right? And you don't. I would assume things that come to mind are not innovation, industry, um, kind of like the backbone of what what built America type of people which is which is really what wheeling is known for you know when you think of you've heard others talk about um, innovation in wheeling like pressed glass um cut nails that we have the wheeling nailers here um that are going to ask you about the derivation of your
0: hockey team the wheeling nailers
2: yeah cut nails were a huge um a huge uh, cut nails were a big thing here and a big employer people that worked for cut nail factories Um, so labelle nail works was um a large industry here and all of the like um, that together um, has kind of, all of that has shaped Wheeling's um, history as a manufacturing city, as a city of makers, as a city of people that are industrious. And you still see that today.
0: Are there any factories left? Um, uh,
2: there are some factories, but I think a lot of that has shifted more toward things like um, there's, there's a company that now uses coal, that they, they expand the coal and make nose cones for NASA. So, there are things like that that are happening here in Wheeling. Finally,
0: we've heard about clean coal. There it is. Yes,
2: there it is, right? And in in the heart of Appalachia, um, that's happening right here in Wheeling. So, there are really cool things like that happening with Touchstone Research Laboratories and things like that, that people that are born and raised in Wheeling, that's in them, in their DNA, to be innovators and to keep that moving forward.
0: So, for someone who's never been here before, who's listening to the show, What's the one thing that's going to surprise them the most when they come?
2: I mean, I think that is a very surprising thing when you think about innovation um, in a small Rust Belt, Appalachian community, that it's still very much alive here. Um, and I would say also that it's it's palpable when you speak to people here that the city is in the midst of reinventing itself. There are people here that understand the importance of its history, but know, you know, Rust Belt communities will never be exactly as they were um, you know in the early 1900s things are much different now and so reinventing a city reinventing itself means new uses for buildings Um, commerce changes industry changes um, the people in your community and the people downtown all of that's very different and it's happening
0: and the cool thing is you can still get here on the river
2: absolutely you can still get here on the river um, and we're so happy that that you guys were, were able to swing by today
0: my thanks to alex we're still moving further down the Ohio River, and the legends of the riverboats only increase. And that includes Marietta, Ohio. Bill Reynolds knows the boats, and he knows the river. In this particular stop, we are in Marietta, Ohio. And joining me right now, he's the historian for the High River Museum. Bill Reynolds. Hey, Bill.
4: Yes. Good afternoon.
0: So most people, and I include myself in this, really don't understand rivers in America. They don't understand the history of rivers. They don't understand how many rivers we actually have. And the, and really, where they take us, which is more than just the direction. Uh, and that's where you are. You're at the High River Museum.
4: Yes. And, and the rivers are really kind of the early interstate highways of this country. It was, it was the easiest way to get from one point to the other. And of course, Western expansion, the rivers linked to each other for the most part, and made it easy for people to travel, not only but to get goods from place to place. So it's really significant, even, even today. Most people know about the Mississippi,
0: or know of it. They may know of the
4: Missouri, or on the West, the Columbia. But how many people really know the Ohio? Oh, well, the Ohio is incredibly important, and, and it's well-known river. Uh, one of the very first major rivers in the uh, West to be uh, explored by the French, and, uh, and uh, charted, and mapped, and, uh, and, and utilized. And of course, commerce absolutely, absolutely there 's more goods being moved on the river, bulk goods such as coal and petroleum products and things like that than today than any other source um, because even even now even now, as we speak, um, because it 's not being taxed, so a ton of coal on a truck is going to cost you a little more than a ton of coal in a in a barge. you see
0: <laughs> <laughs> I get it, but I mean, being on the river, you have to know what you 're doing I, as a captain myself. There are different rules there's There's inland waterway rules and then there's ocean rules, and I have to admit, I am completely confused by inland waterway rules. I would be hitting a bridge in about ten seconds if I was on the river.
4: well, it's there's all kinds of obstructions and problems that you know that you come up with, but everything moves kind of slowly. you know, average speed on the river is about six miles an hour for for these diesel tow boats and um, I would imagine even. Even these excursion boats are not going a whole lot faster than that. Uh, but the bottom line is, if you look at it
0: historically, the river was also geographically important because as people fought for territory, somebody always wanted the river.
4: Well, in, in a sense, yes, um, because it gave them access it, and um, not only to new lands, but also to new markets And what about campus
0: marshes anyway? Because that was part of an original settlement, wasn't it?
4: Absolutely. Um, The Ohio Company of Associates arrived in Marietta on April 7th of 1788, and they had purchased the first parcel of land west of the Ohio River from our new government, the Congress of Convention. Um, They purchased a million and a half acres of land. And they arrived in April because the Ohio River— That's not a small parcel, well, no, and it, it, it's not. And, you know, I, I think anybody would buy it at the price they paid, which was approximately a dollar an acre. <laughs> but but they arrived early because they, the High River it was much different back in those days. The lock and dam system or the canalization of the river makes the river much more passable today, where in those times, they had to wait for the the snows to melt off the Alleghenies to raise the level of the water. When Meriwether Lewis stopped in uh, across from Marietta on his way to take the keelboat to join Clark at the Falls of Ohio, he, he writes Jefferson, and he says, The best boatmen on the Ohio River are the farmers and their oxen. And then you scratch your head and you realize that this is during the summer he's doing this. And the water is shallow, and they're getting stuck on gravel and sandbars, and the oxen are pulling them up and over them, you know, so.
0: Well, you still have those tidal problems today.
4: Oh, there are sandbars, and there's are snags and things, uh, but there's also technology in these boats today that, that, you know, you can see a lot of this stuff before you're…
0: Right. You're not dropping just a lead weight over the side of the boat to see how deep the water
4: is. Exactly. Exactly. Let's
0: talk about the museum because you have a rather extensive collection of river memorabilia and history.
4: We do. We have one of the finest in the country uh, thanks to a group of people called the Sons and Daughters of Pioneer Rivermen. There's everything that you can imagine. But one of the real shining gems of of the River Museum is the steam towboat W.P. Snyder, which is listed as a National Historic Landmark, the only boat of its type, listed as such. It was built in 1918. Its sole purpose was to move barges of coal to the steel mills uh, uh, in Pittsburgh. It worked mostly on the Allegheny, Monongahela, and Upper Ohio Rivers. And 1955, it came to Marietta to be part of the museum under its own power. And as some of us old... Was it coal burning? Yes, absolutely. And as, as the old engineers used to say, they. They cooled her down and walked up the hill and it, it's been open to the public for for view and it's, it's
0: now you know a little bit about that because you know about steam, don't you?
4: a little bit yes, tell me more. well, one of the first things i was I was, I was taught when I, I was learning to be, become a steam engineer was that steam went in one side and went out the other side in between it does something, and you control it. but I also learned that a pound of steam has the same under pressure, has the same amount of energy as almost a stick of dynamite. So, so it's a very powerful, powerful uh, source of energy. And, of course, that's why you see it used so much on these, these vessels early on. But, of course, a, a diesel boat, the more modern vessels, are, are they don't require as many crew members Right. Um, Of course, they're EPA compliant. (laughs) (laughs) But let's go back to steam for a second, because the old steamboats were wooden. They tended to
0: burn, (laughs) they tended to catch fire a lot.
4: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There were all kinds of accidents. And in fact, the very first steamboat accident where there was a loss of life was in 1820. well, over 1814, at Marietta, uh, a steamboat named the Washington, built Wheeling, actually. Anyway, it blew its cylinder head off the engine and, and killed about two-thirds of the passengers. So that's the first documented death on a steamboat on the inland river system.
0: But the steamboat you have there, right, at your museum, right? Yes. That's, that's wood. Has to be wood.
4: No, it's, no. no. It's 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 a, By 1918, most of the vessels that were being built had steel hulls. They did. And uh, they, I mean, I'm not saying they're indestructible, because uh, several years ago, we raised a, a considerable sum of money to put a new steel hull on it, and, um, well over a million dollars. So. And
0: it's still floating?
4: And it's still floating. Do you ever take it out? Not under its own power, but occasionally it goes to a yard for a hull inspection or, or work that, you know, can't be done there at the at our
0: or team. late at night when no one's looking you have a party.
4: Yeah, yeah.
0: Just checking. I just want to know.
4: Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, but in terms of memorabilia, you've got the largest collection I can imagine. Oh, of, it's amazing. Of material. Yeah.
4: It's amazing you know we cover all different elements uh, we have a little bit on the natural history of the river we have lots of boat models from we look at the commercial side with the tow boats and we look at the passenger side in the sense of uh, moving goods from place to place as well as people so you have your your paddle wheel boats um, like the American Queen, the Majestic Queen, and such as that, only a little older.
0: (laughs) I love it. Well, the cool thing is, I'm a boat guy, so you know I'm fascinated with what you got in there. But people who aren't as excited about boats as I am will be excited when you see the engineering that went into these boats, as well as the design and, of course, their importance on the river. My thanks to Bill, to Alex Weld, and to Steve Spracklin, and my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast, On the River. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, just log on to com.
1: Special thanks to our sponsors at Clear. Enroll in Clear at clearme.com slash Peter. And zip through busy airports nationwide.
4: This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly,
1: on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true.